Well, good morning again. I will have to confess, I thought this Sabbath was Pathfinder Sabbath. <laughs> uh, it's next week. So my sermon was based upon uh, Path, well, was based upon Pathfinders, but I'm going to put the blame on this because, as many of you know, I've worked on a degree through Andrews, and uh, the only thing I had left were the languages. And so this, this uh, semester, I've been taking Greek. So I've been learning things like Lani, Lale, Tan, Agathon, Lagan, which means Lani speaks the good word most of the time. <laughs> but it has been a lot of fun. In, in, the, in the OR, I have my declensions that I'm constantly studying. Next week, we begin conjugations, and I still don't have my declensions down. <laughs> For those of you who study Greek, you know what I'm talking about. It's a lot of fun. But we just came back from uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and next week you'll learn more and you'll see some pictures, as I know Dave is putting a slideshow together. The theme this year was chosen, and it was on the life of David. We had a pastor, Damian Chandler. He was the uh, senior pastor at the Capitol Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church in Sacramento, California. And every night before the play began, he'd get up and speak. And then afterwards, he would speak again. And here in North America, we witnessed 1,311 young people follow Christ through baptism. Just amazing. Just truly amazing to see that type of number respond in North America. Awesome. So we're going to talk a little bit about David. Now, at the Camp Marie, we saw David, and the, the story depicted his life as a young man up until his coronation. So we saw Goliath, and that was, they did a really good job with that. But we know there was a lot more to David's life that began after he became king. And this morning, we're going to just pull back the curtain just a little bit, because we can often we see in the life of David a type of Christ. And we see a controversy occurring, much like the great controversy between Jesus and Satan. Now, you remember, Israel called for a king. We want a king. And Samuel said, no, God is your king. No, we want a person to be our king. And so Saul was chosen to be king. Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, and the Bible describes him that he saw himself as not much. But something happened over the course of time that Saul became more and more important. And he began to walk away from God, and it, the, the apex of the, the, his disobedience comes when God tells him to go wipe out a, a tribe, a nation. And he spares Agag, the king, and the finest, and the finest of the livestock. And Samuel comes and says, what have you done? And Saul says, I have done the will of the Lord. And he says, well, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep in my ear? And Saul reaches out and grasps Samuel, and part of his robe is torn. And Samuel says, as my robe tore, this kingdom is being torn from you and given to another, a man after God's own heart. And we know that David and Saul had a relationship before this. We know that David faced Goliath, the, the giant. But David's life was far from perfect, and praise God, his life is recorded in the Bible because it gives me hope. David made many mistakes that cost himself dearly, 
but cost others as well. Perhaps his most known shortfall was his affair with Bathsheba. You remember what happened there? A child is conceived. That child dies. There's a murder of a husband who was known to be one of David's mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. And this scandal must have rocked the kingdom because Nathan the prophet comes and condemns David in no uncertain terms. So when another family crisis, another family scandal arose, David was ill-equipped to deal with it. David had many children, some by different mothers. Absalom and his sister Tamar were born of Mekah, and these children were beautiful. Now one of Tamar's half-brothers, Amnon, born by his first wife, fell for Tamar. His infatuation progressed to the point that the Bible says he became ill. What should he do? To the rescue comes Jonadab, Amnon's cousin, the son of Shemaiah, who was one of David's older brothers. He had a reputation of being sly. And if you have in your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 13, and we're going to start with verse 5. 2 Samuel chapter 13, starting with verse 5. The Bible says, So Jonadab said to him, Lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So David gives his consent And Tamar comes with food prepared for him. Then he does something very interesting. He commands the room to be emptied, except for Tamar, who's to feed him. Hmm. You start getting suspicious. And once, of course, they are alone, he forces himself upon her and rapes his sister. And when his lust is satisfied, he looks at her in utter disdain. Now, Tamar tries to make the best of a bad situation and suggests that they comply for the king's consent to be together. Instead, Amnon puts her out. This is not a little get out, but rather sends her away, shamed and humiliated. She takes her clothes of many color, rips them, put ashes on her head, and goes away crying bitterly. Now it doesn't take much for Absalom to figure out what has just happened. He loved his sister. In fact, he later on names one of his own daughters, Tamar. The news travels fast, and when David hears it, the Bible records his response in chapter 13, verse 21. 2 Samuel 13, 21, it says, But when King David heard all these things... He was very angry. That's it? He was angry? Did he not do something? David's failure to take action against Amnon leaves Absalom seething with anger. Perhaps he couldn't respond to Amnon because of his own sexual indiscretion. But finally the chance comes for Absalom to get even. And it's at a festival, a sheep-sharing festival. He orders a hit on his own brother. 
and then flees to Talmai, the son of Ahmuhad, the king of Geshur. Now remember, the Bible tells us that Absalom's mother is the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So it's understandable, he flees to be with his grandfather. And this is where the story gets really interesting. For three years, Absalom lives in exile. Then through the ministry of Joab, Absalom returns to Jerusalem. But it takes another two years before he comes before his father, King David. When that happens, David kisses his son, but Absalom is still seething within. In 2 Samuel 15, verse 1, if you go over two chapters, Absalom does something very interesting. He provides himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. He is preparing to announce his kingship. Then he begins to plant seeds of rebellion. He rises early. He positions himself strategically at the gate where public business is conducted. He ingratiates himself to the people who come and present their cases, offering advice and friendship. His quick wit and friendly hand begins to win those in Israel. He slightly insinuates that the king's system of judgment isn't quite up to snuff. Hey, there's room for improvement here, guys. 2 Samuel 15, verse 3, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Cultivating the thought, maybe it's time for change. Then verse 4, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me, then I would give him justice. He skillfully places himself in the public eye and begins to gain favor to all who come to him. And verse 5 tells us, And so it was whenever anyone came near him to bow down to him, that he put out his hand, take it, and kiss him. This is a world-class politician. Verse 6, In this manner Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He's getting a following. He's getting people behind him. So the time comes for him to lay out his plan. With the king's consent, he travels to Hebron, to the south of Jerusalem. Now, Hebron's a very interesting place to travel to. As with everything, this is not by accident. Hebron is associated with the patriarch Abraham. Hebron comes from the Hebrew word, which means friend. Today, the Arabs call it Al-Khalil, which has a similar meaning. This is where the famous cave of Machpelah that Abraham purchased to bury his wife Sarah in. So Hebron was once a royal Canaanite city. It was conquered by Caleb, who drove out from them the mighty giants of the Anakim. It was at Hebron that David was anointed king. And David reigned in Hebron for seven years before they took Jerusalem and established that as their new capital. So what better place to launch your campaign than this city that was rich in history? So verse 10, then Absalom sent spies throughout of all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. People are coming to his side, and this critical mass is reached. Among this number is Ahithophel. 
who is one of David's most trusted advisors. This is very interesting. Word gets back to David of Absalom's intentions in verse 13. The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. How would that make you feel? Your son, whom you love, is seeking your throne. I'm sure his thoughts turn back to Tamar and Amnon, and then I'm sure they turn back even further to Bathsheba. So David leaves 10 concubines to keep the house, and with loud weeping, David and his companions leave in exile, going eastward from Jerusalem. They cross over the brook Kidron and head toward the wilderness. Zadok and some of the Levites bear the Ark of the Covenant, but are commanded to return back to Jerusalem. In verse 30, it says, David went, with, went up by the ascent to the Mount of Olives and wept as he went there. And while there, he hears the news, the shocker news in verse 31. Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So the question becomes, who is Ahithophel, and why is one of his closest advisors turning against him? You know, when David first saw the beautiful Bathsheba, he made an inquiry. Who is she? The answer was given in 2 Samuel 11.3. Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam? the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Later, we see that Iliam is listed as one of David's mighty men with this interesting identification. Iliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileonite. Now, unless there was a second Iliam, we are left to conclude that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Perhaps he too burned with resentment at the sin of David. One of his wisest advisors. And David only prays, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He then requests Hushai to attempt to infiltrate the camp of Absalom and somehow find a way to defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. Hushai returns to Absalom, who convinces him of his loyalty. Absalom then requests his advisors, what is the best course of action at this point? Ahithophel immediately suggests to make a bold move that would entrench in the minds of Israel the thought that Absalom was indeed the new ruler. He advises that a tent be pitched at the top of his palace in the sight of all to see and his, and his father's ten concubines be escorted into the tent to have relations with Absalom. To claim his father's wives as his own would trumpet the statement that he was the new king. And his counsel was followed. But Ahithophel was not done. He recommended direct action against David with 12,000 troops to attack him now. Attack him now while he's weak, he's confused, and let's get this thing settled today. Hushai knows that this is good counsel and would end David's rule. So attacked and disturbed, Hushai pays homage to the reputation of Ahithophel. We all know that Ahithophel is a man of great wisdom. But in this one instance, his advice is not best. David is a man of war. And right now, he has been robbed of his cubs. He'll be waiting for you to attack. He'll, if you ambush him now, he'll wipe you out. You better wait, muster a larger army, and then go against him. So Absalom considers the two options and he chooses the path of Hushai. 
When Ahithophel sees that his advice is not heeded, he goes home, puts his affairs in order, and he hangs himself. And David does indeed have the chance to gather his forces. He divides his armies into third to mount a counterattack, and David's true heart can be seen in the final command given to his generals. In chapter 18, verse 5, Now the king commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently with the young man Absalom. Deal gently with the man who's trying to take my kingdom. The battle rages in which 20,000 insurrectionists are killed and the forces of Absalom are defeated. And we know the story from there. Absalom flees on a mule, but his hair catches in a low-hanging terebinth tree. Hanging from his hair, Joab finds him, spears him, and thus ends the rebellion. The bitter root of sin that grew into a full-fledged rebellion has been quelled at great expense. In his study, this life of David, the conspiracy with Absalom, is to look into the heart of Christ himself, the son of David. David was, as the, man, as the Bible describes, a man after God's own heart. It was not because of his failings, for they were many. It was because of his generous, forgiving spirit. The Bible describes God of all things. And one such being that was created was Lucifer, who was beautiful, glorious, and wise. Ezekiel 28 says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were in the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the days you were created until iniquity was found in you. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down in the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Sound familiar? Absalom, it is described, now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. The Bible also records that he cut his hair at the end of every year because it was so heavy on him. It weighed 200 shekels, which is about five pounds. I don't suppose I could get five pounds of hair after a decade anymore. <laughs> Though enjoying beauty and talent, both Absalom and Lucifer walked the same path of resentment, jealousy, and murder. Absalom was upset because of the way his dad handled things. Lucifer became disenchanted with the operation of the divine administration. Absalom coveted the throne for himself. Lucifer designed that he would sit in the place of God. Absalom's leading and whispering campaign, raising doubts concerning the effectiveness of his father's government, echoes the tactics of Satan among the other residents of heaven. Absalom achieves success in garnering a large proportion of the, of the population to his quarters. 
Satan persuaded one-third of the angels to join him in his mutiny. Absalom claimed the wives of David as his own. Satan claimed God's people on earth as his rightful property. How many of you were here last week to hear Miss Talbot, Pastor Talbot, Dr. Talbot? How did she sum up the Bible? Jesus wins. Amen. In two words, right? And I, I know I heard her say it another time. If you were to do it in three words, it'd be ta-da, Jesus wins. <laughs> I remember her saying that a while back. It's also interesting to note that Jesus went across the same Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, just as David had done. David's instructions to deal kindly with the young man can be seen in Christ as he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And while we do not know how long Lucifer's rebellion kindled in heaven, we can see parallels in how David handled Absalom's death. When news was brought to David of Absalom's death, did David rejoice? He did not. Instead, he went out. The Bible says he was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died in your place. David, a man after God's own heart, could it have been that when Lucifer was cast from heaven, in the pillars of heaven, you could hear God's voice cry out, Oh, Lucifer, my son, my son. God's character. I think it's one of the things that we struggle with the most. A right understanding of who God is will compel us to love him. Well, it can't be, you know, because the Bible tells us that hell was never intended for humanity. And I really liked what she had to say last week about the Goel. That Christ, when he created us, when Christ went bent down and created Adam and Eve in his image, that he became our closest relative. That he became our Goel to, pay, to be our Redeemer. I've often thought, the Bible does describe, because when, when, the, when the kingdom comes, there will be crying in heaven, won't there? Because the Bible says that he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. But I've wondered after studying this, who will wipe away his tears? His children who are not there. What Christ did on the cross will be our study throughout eternity. And we are admonished to think about the last moments of Christ's life and what he did on the cross daily. My challenge to you this morning is what is your vision of God's character? Is it so deep that you are compelled to love him? That's your desire to get into the word, to look at what Christ did for us, to look at the Bible, because remember, the whole Bible points to Christ. I invite you to bow your heads with me in prayer this morning. Our dear, kind, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, it sometimes is amazing when we think about that you would come to empty yourself out, to come to this earth and to hang on a cross 
to die for the likes of me sometimes is overwhelming. But I'm so thankful, as Dr. Talbot said last week, that we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus wins. Let that be our song today. Thank you, Lord. Amen.